0: I invite you this morning to the book of Hebrews, the third chapter, Hebrews chapter three. We shall continue our exposition in Hebrews. Couple of notes as you're finding your way there. First of all, uh, a confession of a failure on my part. We did not acknowledge that Miss Sela had joined us last Sunday. Uh, and I apologize for that. Is she in the nursery or is she over here with you? She, she's over here. So th- there's Miss Sela. There you go. Yay. We are thankful. And often has been the case in the past, especially, we would. Spend some time talking about qualifications for elders and deacons as we come to these nomination election times. My brothers and sisters, we're trusting for you to look at the text at 1 Timothy, 3rd chapter, at Titus, Acts chapter 6, 5 6, ponder the Lord's work there and nominate good, faithful men to these. Uh, In fact, Jason Brushwood has agreed for his name to be placed again for your endorsement. He's willing to serve again as an elder, but that needs your affirmation. And so we ask that you pray about that and join us tonight as we do that as part of our service this evening. Now, Hebrews 3, beginning at verse 7, therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice. Do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore I was provoked with that generation and said they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways and I swore in my wrath they shall not enter my rest. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil This is the word of our great God. Let's pray. And now, Father, by word and by spirit, may this be effectual in us today. Change us. Rescue us. Save us from hardening of our hearts. For we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Al Molder, president of Southern Seminary tells about being in his 20s and he went to hear a lecture from a Professor Oberman, a prestigious history prof from the University of Arizona. And he was one of the world's greatest scholars on the Reformation and he was about 70 years old at the time. And halfway through the lecture, Professor Oberman became unusually frustrated with the class and they weren't misbehaving, they weren't, they weren't paying attention. He was frustrated because they were young. Here's what he said Young men will never understand Luther, he said, because you go to bed every night confident you'll wake up healthy in the morning. In Luther's day, people thought that every day might be their last. They had no antibiotics, they didn't have modern medicine. Sickness and death came swiftly. Now, Obermann was right. To have fully understood Luther, you need to know the, that he faced the reality of eternity each day. But further, we need to embrace that fact is true of us as well. We may well go to bed with a certain confidence that we'll wake up healthy the next morning. But boy, it doesn't take much for us to find ourselves physical ailment, injury, any number of things. The prospect, my friend, of death and the judgment of God ought to be sobering to us. Now when you read this text, the author is citing an Old Testament text, and he talks a lot here about this happening today. In fact, it's inherent in that 95th psalm today if you hear his voice verse 13 says uh, exhort one another every day as long as it's called today and then he cites the verse again in verse 15 today if you hear his voice you see my friends the original failure of adam and eve was the ultimate failure of unbelief they stopped believing what god said And what the author's saying to us is there is a danger of beginning well and finishing poorly. Starting off fine, great enthusiasm, and then going by the wayside. Now again, he does cite the Old Testament, and in so doing, some occasionally say, well, does the Old Testament have anything to say to us? and We've said this before, brothers and sisters. While we are no longer under the obsolete covenant of the Old Covenant, yet the Old Testament is still very much the Word of God to us, and we ought to hear and heed what it says. Dr. Donald Bonnehouse was an extraordinary preacher in the 20th century. Presbyterian minister. In fact, he was a predecessor to uh, James Boyce, at 10th Presbyterian there in Philadelphia and he was preaching and in the sermon he made this remark Jesus Christ was the preexistent person who ministered to Israel in Old Testament times before he was born the next day in the town where he was he'd gone out and sat on a bench in the park of the city to enjoy a bit of relaxation And a woman approached him and said, I heard you preach last night and I enjoyed what you had to say. But there's one thing you said that was ridiculous. You said that Jesus was alive in the Old Testament times before he was born. I cannot believe that. So Dr. Barnhouse had his Bible with him, as he usually did, and apparently this was his habit. People would ask him a question, he'd hand them his Bible. And he said, would you just sit down there, take my Bible, now, I want you to find this text. Look up 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4, and then read it. And here's what it says. And all drank the same spiritual drink, referring to the children of Israel and their experiences. All drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. So as he usually did, he won the argument. My friends, the author of Hebrews is concerned because there's a tendency in believers to think there's not much danger in falling into faithlessness. Now as Baptists, I mean it has been so much a part of our history and heritage, I remember it just freaked me out when I heard Baptists believe once saved always saved. I just thought that an impossibility. I remember growing up thinking, that's just madness. If you believe that, you'll do anything you want to. Now, it's amazing what salvation and conversion will actually do to your perspective on that. And there's actually nothing wrong with the idea of the preservation of the saints. But the text of Scripture not only talks about our preservation, it talks about our perseverance. It talks about us taking action. You see, faithfulness is a daily commitment to believe God. Faithfulness is a daily commitment to believe God. Today, if you hear his voice, today, today. Now, if you look at the text, the first thing that stands out is this example of unbelief verses 7 through 11. I'd have you first note how the text opens. As the Holy Spirit says. And I'll make just three quick observations. I don't want to camp there, but I want you to catch something. Notice it's in the present tense. That is, not what the Holy Spirit said, past tense, but rather says. The present validity and power of the Word of God. For the author of Hebrews, the Word is an ongoing, powerful thing that the Lord uses in believers' lives. Secondly, Trinitarianism is inherent in the Gospel. The Holy Spirit says, having exalted Christ and spoken of the greatness of Christ, He yet still gives credence to the idea that there is a triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And then, my friends, from that, thirdly, we should hear the Word of God as God speaking to us right now. Hear God what he says. So what happened (coughs) with the people of Israel? Hardening. Now if you look at the context, that is a quote from the 95th Psalm. So let's lead you up to this place. After 430 years of bondage and ten miraculous signs and a midnight deliverance, lambs for food and lambs for sacrifice the blood on the doors of the lintel and doorposts of the house, the plundering of Egypt without lifting a sword. One and a half million approximately leave Egypt in divisions. They carry out Joseph's bones. The pillar of cloud and fire leads them. They're delivered at the Red Sea, and Egypt is broken by the actual power of God. They have a party at the end, And yet, they learned nothing. The psalmist, as he writes this, this is called in the Latin Bible, Venite, O come. O come, let us shout for joy to the Lord. Sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. For he is a great God, a great king above all gods. We are the, and I love this phraseology, we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. I love that psalm because it's a call for joyful worship. Worship ought to have joy. It's called for reverent worship. Bow down before this Lord. But it's also a call to obedient worship because it also brings this warning today if you hear his voice do not harden your heart and what the author references in the 95th psalm was two examples of unbelief at massa and meribah now what we read Earlier in the responsive reading, and I know some of you are thinking, What kind of church did I just walk into? The responsive reading is about death and dying, and you're all going to die, and your kids are going to get what you should have gotten because you're a bunch of unbelievers. Die, die, die. I wanted you to feel the weight of that. I wanted you to sense the heaviness of it. What the author cites Massa and Maribas. Massa is a reference to Exodus 17. Whenever the people have gone through everything they've gone through and they run out of water and they say this, Give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, Why are you quarreling with me? Why do you test the Lord? And then they say, Why did you bring us out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried to the Lord, What shall I do with this people? They're almost ready to stone me. And it tells him to strike a rock and water will come out of it. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel and he called the name of the place Massah and is also called Marabah, because of the quarreling of the people of Israel. And they tested the Lord by saying, and here was their question, is the Lord among us or not? Now is that not an extraordinary thought? They have watched 10 plagues decimate Egypt. They have watched the Red Sea in front of them and they've walked through on dry land. They've watched the Lord then collapse the Red Sea down on the Egyptian army and they're thirsty and here's their question is God with us? But brothers and sisters have you and I not at times wondered the same sad wonder? Is he with us? Another time, Meribah quarreling, Numbers 20. Now, there was no water for the congregation. I'm going to summarize this, or so we'll not get through. But they come and quarrel, and this is at the end of the 40 years, and there's, you know, there's no water, and why don't you take us back to Egypt? At least in Egypt, there was water to drink, and we're sick of manna, and we're tired of all this, and we just, we've had enough And so the Lord speaks to Moses, take the staff and assemble the congregation, you and Aaron, your brother, tell the rock before their eyes to yield water. You shall bring water out of the rock for them and give drink to the congregation and their cattle. And Moses took the staff from before the Lord as he commanded him, and they gathered them, and Moses said, here now you rebels, shall we bring water for you out of this rock? And Moses lifted up his hand and struck the rock with his staff twice. And water came out abundantly. And the congregation drank and their livestock. What did God said to do? Speak to the rock. What did Moses do? Strikes the rock. Now hear what he says. Because you did not believe in me. To uphold me is holy in the eyes of the people of Israel. Therefore you shall not bring the assembly into the land I have given them. These are the waters of Meribah. Where the people of Israel quarreled with the Lord. The psalmist cites two things related to thirst and to water as their failure. And he cites it as examples of unbelief. And he points out there was judgment. No one over the age of 20 entered the land, Uh, only two, and the others filled nearly a million graves. Not immediately destroyed, but 40 years of destruction. The warning, today is the day of salvation. Today is the day to believe. Today is the day to persevere. When they get to the land the first time and he's about to take them in, what is their response? Oh, we'll die. We're not going to go in there. They'll kill us all. And the Lord finally says, fine, you stay out here. The words you've said will be fulfilled. You're going to die, but they're not going to do it. I'm going to do it. You'll wander in the wilderness till every last one of you is gone. They doubt it. Now, friend, here's what he says. Verse 11, you see that? They shall not enter my rest. They shall not enter my rest. Rest is always pictured as the blessing of safety and security and salvation, and they didn't get any of it. Now, here's the issue. If God didn't allow Israel in unbelief to live without consequences, how much worse to fall into unbelief in light of the coming of the son of god if that was bad that kind of unbelief would be worse and that leads then to this exhortation against unbelief well so what that happened to them verse 12 take care brothers Lest there be any of you in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. Three things he tells them to do. First of all, protect your heart. Later in Hebrews ten thirty one, he's going to warn, it's a fearful thing to fall in the hands of the living God. You see, the writer can't envision a faith that doesn't lead to obedience. Nor does he conceive of any obedience that doesn't come out of, stem from, faith. Christian, you who name Christ, be careful of your heart. Take care of an evil, unbelieving heart. Be careful what you nurture and nourish inwardly. Now, folks, that that unbelieving heart can show up in all sorts of contexts. For some of you, the temptation to an unbelieving heart may be because you find yourself for the first time in your life, maybe you're a young person, you find yourself in college or in a university and you're finding your beliefs challenged and you find yourself swimming in this tank, uh, this soup of secularism. And not just any kind of secularism, but a rather arrogant secularism that looks down on people of faith and considers the whole thing a waste of time and energy. And if you're not careful, my friend, if you're not careful to use discernment and to realize that while these people may be very bright, very well-trained, very articulate, it doesn't mean their lives are any better than anybody else's life. Look at what goes on behind the scenes. Look at how their lives actually work out look at the consequences of what they claim to believe. It may be that you found yourself in the disappointments of a marriage that isn't all you'd hoped it would be. Now some of you just sat very still and looked straight forward. Some of you think somebody lied to you. They said it will all be wonderful, and it's only been wonderful part of the time. Well, I'm glad it's been wonderful part of the time. Well done. But if you're not careful, my friend, you'll start nourishing and nurturing a sour to unbelieving heart. You do understand here, just a little aside. The only option when you got married was another sinner, right? You'd you'd have driven a perfect person crazy. You do get that, don't you? It can show up in struggles with your children. It can show up whenever suffering comes into your life. And how many of us have had suffering come in, and there's a part of us that bow our head and our heart, and rather than saying, with Job, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away, blessed be the name of the Lord, we say, Lord, do you even care? Are you actually there? Friends, protect your heart, but not just protect your heart, protect each other. Exhort one another, he says in verse 13, every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. My brothers and sisters, we need each other. Now that's not just a good preaching phrase to say. The reality is you need these people around you, all of them. This echoes Paul's statement in Colossians 3. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Israel, rather than encouraging one another, grumbled with one another. And the grumbling led to disaster. God have mercy on churches that become grumblers. And I don't just mean in the pew, preaching grumblers are as bad as anybody. We are to encourage one another. And folks, the only way you get to encourage somebody is to get to know somebody. You have to give some time and some energy to this. The Christian life is not done alone. So protect your heart and protect each other. Persevere to the end. For we have come to share in Christ, he says in verse 14, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end, as it is said today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart as you did in the day of rebellion. Now I know some of you are saying, now preacher, you you say that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. Absolutely. And I will never take that back. You are saved by the righteousness of somebody else. And my friend, when the enemy comes to you and slaps you about with your sin and your failure, I encourage you to embrace that and say you're exactly right. I'm as bad as you say. In fact, I'm actually worse. But I am saved not by what I do, nor the sincerity with which I do it. I am saved solely and entirely by the work of Jesus Christ for me. He is my salvation. I look outside of me. But, oh, my friend, if that is the faith that has justified It will also become the faith that moves you towards sanctification, not perfection. Please hear me when I say this. See, some of you ruin your assurance. (laughs) Some of you ruin your assurance by making peace with sin, and God won't let you do that. And so He makes you miserable. Some of you ruin your assurance. By spending too much time analyzing if you've obeyed enough. Have you done enough? Is that enough? Let me answer the question for you very easily. Are you ready? No. Well, missionaries give it all. Do they give enough? Nope. If you're asking if it's enough for your eternal salvation, nobody does that. There is no such thing. There is not a single Christian who has ever lived who through the course of their life will live enough righteousness that at the end, Jesus will say to them, you know what? You really didn't need me to die for you. You made it. Wow, well done. No. Quit analyzing and get to acting. Do something. Christians just wear me out at times. Well, as soon as I'm sure of what the Lord wants me to do, I'm going to get around doing it. Well, how long have you been waiting on? Well, it's been a few years, but I know one of these days he's going to tell me. <laughs> what a delight on the judgment day. So, what did you do for him? Well, Lord, I was waiting for you to tell me what to do. Hmm. How about this? Persevere. Believe and in your belief act obey not to gain because everything's given follow him now he ends it with a series of questions he presents these pairs of questions at the end two questions in 16 two in 17 and the esv treats it as one but it could be two in verse 18 and in each case The pairs for who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt by Moses? Everyone who died in the desert had begun in the glorious exodus. They sinned against God because they feared death and they experienced death because they didn't do what he mandated. In verse 17, and with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned whose bodies fell in the wilderness? The core issue was unbelief, hardness of heart, testing God, going astray, rebellion and disobedience, all begin with this one sin problem, unbelief. And finally, unbelief always leads to active disobedience. And to whom did he swear they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? And notice how he ends the section. So we see they were unable to enter because of what? Unbelief. Now, folks, I just I just got a sense that he told us something there. And when he just earlier said in verse twelve, Take care lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart. So maybe this matter of belief is more important and much more living than we tend to think. Faithfulness as a Christian, my friend, is this. It begins here. That today. Don't think about tomorrow. Today. Don't fret yesterday, it's done. Today. Hear Him, believe Him, and live. This is central to faithfulness. See, some of you have this big list of things you need to do to be faithful. And I'm. please understand, I'm not saying the disciplines aren't, there's not a good place for the disciplines of prayer and Bible reading and so on. Glorious things, good things that can be good for your soul. But all of it starts here. This is the starting point. Here is the leaping off point. Today, I believe Him. I believe Him against my own failed understanding. I believe Him against my own struggles with faithfulness, I believe Him, even when it seems like everything's going south, I believe Him when He says this is what I should do. I believe Him. Oh, Christian, is this not the place we should live? (laughs) And is this not a warning we ought to heed? Now I know some say, well, what about people who fall by the wayside? Simply put, John tells us, they went out from us because they were not of us. For if they had been of us, would they not have continued with us? So I'm not telling you this, my friend, to rob you of assurance. I'm telling you this, that you could rest in the joy of all God gives you By each day, today believing. See, this is not actually very complicated, is it? Believe him. Now, today, as one of those glorious days in the life of a church, We, we we, we get to do the two sanctioned dramas in all of Scripture. I occasionally have people say, Well, do you all do drama at your church? Yep. We do. Two of them baptism, Lord's Supper. The drama of entrance pictured, the drama of fellowship and hope visualized. Dying. To the old way, buried with Christ, raised to new life. Right? Old man gone, new man's alive. As long as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we show the Lord's death till he. So my friends, today believe, believe, believe Him. When you as a Christian take the Lord's Supper, you're declaring that belief. I believe that through His body, the glorious incarnation, God in the flesh, and I believe through His dying, His blood poured out on my behalf that I am made right with God and this is my only hope. And everybody who is so believed is my brother, is my sister. And truly the ground at the cross is level. And so I fellowship with my brothers and sisters. And I fellowship with the Lord symbolically. And the Lord gives grace and kindness through this. Our Father, in a few moments as we do this, we pray that this is strengthening of our faith. I pray, Lord, for those who don't know you, that this is the hour of their salvation, that they have come to saving faith, that even now they're asking the Lord Jesus to forgive them their sins, and to be their Savior. This we ask in Christ's name.